Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 61, Broken Men, Renewed Faith. I'm Scad and with me as always is Matt. Hey there. We are having a good old time tonight, uh, continuing our read of Feast Dance. So tonight we are reading from A Feast for Crows. We're reading Brienne 5, Samuel 3, Jamie 3, and Cersei 6. Very A Feast for Crows heavy. And then in Dance with Dragons, we are reading The Lost Lord chapter. Who is The Lost Lord, you might ask? You'll find out in a little bit. Uh, if you want to see the order that we're reading in, we're following the um, Feast with Dragons reading order that you can find at feastwithdragons.com or we've also replicated it at davosfingers.com. You can check it out there. Let us see here. It is old now, but old news, I should say. George R.R. R. Martin in a recent book blog post or should we say not a blog post as he calls it <laughs> yeah has made an announcement and that announcement has left many including myself both excited and disappointed how about you scad yeah both excited and disappointed i'm excited for the the fire and blood which is a, a new uh, history basically they're they're working on that they're hoping to publish next year but also disappointed which was i, th I think my disappointment was higher than my excitement I would rate it at about 30 to 70%. 30% excited, 70% yeah. disappointed. <laughs> um, so yeah. in his recent post, uh, what Scad is referring to is uh, George R. R. Martin releasing a new volume of fake histories of the Targaryen kings. Well, it's fake to real people, um, but real to the world of Ice and Fire. Uh, a volume that he's called in jest the Germarillion. But, uh, and it's actually going to be called, like Skad said, Fire and Blood. It's basically the history of the Targaryens. So much material that it's been decided to publish in two books. The first is planned to come out in late 2018 or 2019. Okay, so, um, of course, the next question is, well, what about Winds of Winter? He mm -hmm. says he is still working on it. He says he is still months away. Uh, he has good days and bad days, and that's all he has to say about it right now. He doesn't know whether Winds will come out before Fire and Blood, um, but he leaves us with this. I do think you will have a Westeros book from me in 2018, and who knows, maybe two. So yeah. there you go. Which There you go. Makes me think we won't maybe get either, but if we get one, it's <laughs> going to be the history book and not Winds of Winter, which means... To me, no wins in 2018, which is sad. Um, but, you know, that's not exactly what he said. It's just what I'm, in, in, you know, how I'm interpreting what he said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, the you, best way to interpret it is that he still has no freaking idea. Yes, exactly. So he's being safe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you weren't keeping up on the Nada blog and hadn't heard that news, uh, we can be the bearers of that bad news for you. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, moving on, uh, I had recommended something, I think, on this podcast a while ago, uh, mm. a series on Netflix uh, called Bloodline, and they are in the third, they finished the third and final season this spring, and we are just finishing it up, and uh, it is awful. Uh, <laughs> the way they've wrapped up this series is one of the worst handlings I've ever seen uh, of a wrap-up. And it's a little bit, they've had a little bit weird circumstances. They were shooting in Florida. It was uh, very, um, 
beautiful location where they where they shoot and i think they were taking advantage of some some sort of tax advantages or something and the law changed on them and so like oh netflix you know netflix has an interesting model right um as soon as the cost went up they're like oh yeah we we can't afford to do this show anymore this is the last season and so i think it i think it took them by surprise a little bit and they had to rejigger a bunch of things and throw things around but in any event if you have not started bloodline and are thinking about it my recommendation is don't there's so much media out there you got to be picky about what you choose to consume absolutely so don't choose bloodline yeah that's yep I have heard good things about the new series that just came out called Ozark. Oh yeah, one of Jason Bateman. I've heard Jason Bateman's excellent. In that. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's the main character. All right. I hear it's slightly akin to a, a Breaking Bad type feel, which of course oh. intrigues intrigues more. So uh, <laughs> that might turn into my new uh, Laundry Night show. I'm yeah, excited. yeah. Did you catch also there's a new uh Louis CK special up there on the Netflix? Uh, oh, like really new? I saw his latest 2017 or whatever. It's 2017, called. yeah. Yeah. I okay, thought that I was new. That maybe one. maybe it wasn't new. It's reasonably new. It's within the past couple months or so, but yeah. I made sure that I watched it like the first night it came out. <laughs> oh, I see. I love dedicated that man. fan. All right. I love that man. <clears throat> I it didn't I didn't I didn't think it was too great, but it's still funny. It wasn't his best. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's getting a little older, and I think his views and attitudes are changing, but he's still as, a good time. Yeah, as they do. <clears throat> uh, also, uh, in just a quick numbers update, uh, in b- between the last recording and this one, uh, the Davos Fingers podcast reached half a million listens. Woohoo! Yeah. Yes. Break out the old champagne. Uh, amazing. Something we never, ever considered would even happen uh, when we started this thing off. So thank you, Kalisar, for uh, for sticking with us and listening over and over again to our voices. Um, obviously, thanks to, to Brooke as well, who was a huge part of, of getting us there too. And mm-hmm. um, just really proud of this podcast and what it's become. And so happy that I get to do this with Matt. Right back at you, pal. Uh, we do the count. That is 499,990 more listens than I think we ever planned on having. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Seated expectations. Yeah. Speaking of expectations, uh, I'm going to attempt. I haven't done it yet, uh, but I hope to put up in before the, before this episode actually releases the Broken Man speech as performed by SCAD uh, up on our Patreon site. Um, so we'll see if I can see if I can conquer that. I've practiced it a few times and run through it and stuff. It's a, uh, man, it's a beast. Such a great speech. I don't want to do it half-assed, but uh, I'm really excited to give it a shot. So, well, patrons, look for that. I'm not editing this out of the final episode, so consider <laughs> that your motivation to actually do it. Indeed, indeed. I feel We're all looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, uh, okay. moving on. So we are spoiler-free till the end of the podcast for a special segment that we call Davos After Dark. Uh, don't worry, we'll warn you when it's coming with a, with Matt's little jingle, um, but uh, we'll, we'll try to keep it spoiler-free until that point, so don't worry about it. 
And as always, we love to hear from you guys. So if you've got uh, quibbles, if you have got commentaries, if you have got other things you'd just like to chat about, please reach out to us. We love chatting with you guys. Uh, you can find us at DavosFingers.com. Our email address is we are DavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. And we're also on Facebook. And you can find us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash DavosFingers. That's right. All right, let's dive right into the episode. It starts off with Brienne, and that's me. Mm-hmm. If you could see what we could see, oh, I swear you would believe. Conviction, grace, and pride, swear the beauty resides. You don't have to hide behind the lies. Oh, your fate, they can't decide. Well, Brienne, you'll always be a beauty to me. The heads of the former Brave Companions are brought with them as Hyle Hunt insists that Lord Randall should see them. It's a miserable, smelly, rainy journey back to Maidenpool, but they do make it. Tarly seems a little bit impressed, but upon hearing the full tale, he patronizes Brienne, indicating that she's had her adventure. Now go home. To Brienne's credit, she immediately indicates that she is disinclined to acquiesce to his request, and uh, she means to find Sansa. She's sticking to it, this time via her new lead, the Hound. After all, all the dogged Brienne can do is keep trying. However, if she is to continue, it will be without any of Randall's help. He won't give food, he won't give shelter, and he banishes Brienne from Maidenpool. So, Brienne and Pod find beds for the last night in Maidenpool upon a boat that night, it's a restless night for Brienne, full of nightmares in which she kills Pig, Timmy, and Lord Timian and Lord Randall himself, among others. And they meet Hyle at the Stinking Goose the next day, as Hyle thinks he might have a lead on the Hound. He informs her of several nuggets. First, that the Hound was last seen traveling along the Trident west uh, from the salt pans. Second, he might be trapped, as he is somewhat surrounded by foes. Third, he is not with Dundarian. He did not join that group as a rumor that, that's been floating around. Fourth, that Barrack and Lady Stoneheart may be lovers. You double dead zombie sex. That Dendarian kissed her to wake her from death. Lastly, Hyle is coming with them to salt pans, as well as the fr- a friendly septon named Maribald. Hubba Bran is shocked that Hyle is coming. Turns out that he has been dismissed from Tarly's service and is now just a Ordinary Hedge Knight, a Hedge Knight that happens to be very intrigued by the prospect of a reward for Sansa if they can find her. <sighs> Double sigh. So, they depart the next morning, and Septon Maribald is an interesting cat. He's a Septon without a Sept, that travels the same circuit in the Riverlands over and over again, and he knows the Seven-Pointed Star by heart. He travels with an overpacked donkey and a giant dog named... Dog. He walks the same circuit and distributes food and supplies while supplying holy rites and ceremonies for the small folk. In return, they are expected to feed and shelter him. He gives a religious lesson to the party while they travel. There is one god with seven aspects, and each aspect also has many aspects. This is a little bit new to some of the uh, folk, including Brienne. They're not used to hearing that each aspect also has many sub-aspects. He tells them why he walks shoeless. In his youth, Septon Maribald used his status as a worldly holy Septon to deflower women, and walking barefoot is his penance. He tells them of the people in this reed and marshland. They live simple lives, never traveling from their villages. They live, they love, 
they die. He tells of the open road life, how his companion dog protects him from outlaws and wolves, and the roaming wolf pack we've already been told of several times, with a massive she-wolf for its leader. Finally, they come upon another village in need of his services. In return, they tell Maribel that there are three broken men skulking about. Is a broken man an outlaw? Podrick asks. More or less, Brienne replies. But the Septon disagrees, and in this disagreement, George achieves what some consider to be the best writing in the series. I won't cover it fully here, and I won't do it justice. I don't care if you've read it once or fifty times already. Stop now and go read it again. It's on page 533 of the U.S. paperback. For our part, I'll only say that Maribald astutely uncovers just what can happen to a good, young, common man as he hopes for a better tomorrow, as his hopes of a better tomorrow are brutally offset by the horrors of war, loneliness, homesickness, and hunger pummeling him throughout the years without reprieve. Some last longer than others, but eventually a man is broken, becoming a shadow of the person he once was. More beasts than man, they live hour to hour, meal to meal, and they deserve our pity in addition to our wariness. The party are silenced by this revelation, and as if they are a representation of the reader in George's masterful hands as we are ripped away from kings and dragons and brought low to the plight of the common man that George usually only kind of brushes brushes over briefly. Brienne robs us of our silent reverie by asking how old Maribald was when he was taken to war. No older than Pod. And while there, he lost his brothers on the Stepstones. The War of the Nine Penny Kings, he says, though I never saw a king nor earned a penny. It was a war, though. That it was. And that's the end of the chapter. Hmm. Yeah. The war ends... But uh, it doesn't really end, is what he's saying. It doesn't end. It sticks with you, doesn't it? Yeah, the repercussions are felt um, forever for these people, for their families. Um, You know, the the people with the least to gain, um, you know, feel it probably the worst. Yeah, the ones that are just going because they have to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and interesting. It's been mentioned at other points in the series, but these small folk aren't even outfitted with armor and swords. You think if the liege lord would yeah. call them to go to battle, they'd give them some equipment. But uh, yeah. a lot of these guys, it turns out they don't. They fight with their uh, whatever they got, kitchen knives or whatever. And that's yeah, that's really sad. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they don't they don't take care of them at all. Uh, you owe fealty to me. You will come and fight. Why didn't you bring better weapons with you to protect yourself? And uh, if you want something better, take it from somebody that dies next to you. Um, and yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a sad thing. I started thinking about this broken men thing in general, and just you know it can it can claim anybody, the biggest guy, the weakest guy it can claim anybody. Mm-hmm. And you know we we have that we have that here in our world today too, right? Through obviously through war, which we still have. Um, but I feel like it's not just war. It's it, I, I feel like I feel like people are broken by all sorts of things now. Sure, F- just failure in in any aspect of their lives, and it just kind of eats away at them and breaks them to the point where they're not even they don't even recognize them. So you know you look you look back. 10 years later and you're like, where did, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Right. You just kind of plodding along, trying to meet the nine to five, pay the bills, you know, do the thing. And all of a sudden you're, you know, all of a sudden you're 50 and 
you don't know how you got there. Certainly not as tragic as, as you know, being broken by war. But right, the the, the human the human mind is it's a fragile thing. Yeah, I went to the. Uh, this is not quite as sweeping as what you were saying, but I went to the movie Full Metal Jacket. Oh yeah, kind of what those guys go through. But you're absolutely right. Whether it's you know whether it's stuff that's brought on by addiction or just lack of seizing opportunity or lack of opportunity in general or whatever, it is really sad. Especially you know we we passed our thirties not that long ago right me sooner than you <laughs> and that i know that for me that was an interesting time to look back and go is this where i planned on being at, at 30 you know and yeah. hopefully uh doing some course corrections and and helping prevent from becoming that shell of a person that you're mentioning so it's it definitely is there definitely is a fragility to the human mind and the human spirit yeah yeah what uh do you want to jump back on the Randall is a dick train for a minute? Hey, it's my favorite topic. Yeah. I mean, we've beaten it to death a little bit. Oh my gosh, but why not do it some more? Because he <laughs> is a dick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she kills three outlaws here. And he won't even give her a room. Uh-huh. Like, come what on, man! Like, the, it's like the, the guys that are so... That are, that are so unbending when they're proven wrong. Like, they they just, they won't ever admit it. Right? Yeah, they, it, it causes them to, like, dig in even deeper. Yes, right. I didn't even write down the whole quote, but the one I did write down, Some men are blessed with sons, some with daughters, but no man deserves to be cursed with such as you. Live or die, Lady Brienne. Do not return to Maidenpool whilst I rule here. What a dick. Yeah. And I just, I imagine... I thought of Sam in this, and I imagine his conversation with Sam went similarly, and that broke my heart, too. Yeah. Just, yeah. No man deserves to be cursed with such as you. Go to the wall or I'll kill you. Ugh. Yeah. I just Awful. hate him. I just hate him. Yeah. Um, even where he admits, where, where Hyle's like, yeah, she did it. She was like, awesome. And he, she had this Valyrian steel sword, and Randall's like, oh, it's because of the sword. Right. Yeah, which oh, as that's a renowned why. Oh, sure, I'm sure. battle yeah. commander, as a renowned commander who knows strategy and what men do in war, this statement who, from him surprises me. <laughs> and who wields a Valyrian steel sword himself? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right? Like, uh, anyway, I, I thought I, of. I, uh, I, I, go ahead. I was just going to compare it to my loves, which was Eddie Van Halen and the. Uh, guitar that he built from parts from different guitars into what became known as his Frankenstrat. It's his red and white guitar that's so famous. And uh, it's a piece of junk. He admits that it's a piece of junk. But some of the best solos in what some people say rock history were recorded on that guitar. And, uh, you know, it's definitely not the sword that makes the, the hero. Yeah. Yes. An apt comparison. I love it. Uh, speaking of heroes, um, I, I don't. I, I may have misread this the first time when when Brienne kills the the three brave companions. Um, I thought Hyle wasn't there for it, and that he showed up 
a little bit like right as it was finishing or or at, after it was over. Right. Um I I, I must have misread that because he gives an account unless unless he's just recounting what she's told him what here. was told, right? But, but it sure sounds like he's saying I watched this happen. And if he did, he's also a dick. Why didn't he jump in? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. I like how in like, the same sentence he's like, she did all this. Look, I brought these stinking, rotting, maggoty heads to show you. And then in the same yeah. sentence he calls her a sword's wench. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Heil, an interesting cat. Uh, we we had some some really great interaction with, with some people over the last couple of days about yeah. Sir Heil Hunt based on your poll. Uh-huh. Which, bled, which bled into Jamie and Brienne stuff as well. Right. That might be better for some uh, Davos After Dark chat. But... Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, don't, I didn't spoil anything, did I? Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, okay. Nope. Uh, we were just talking about what his intentions were. Yeah, And right. uh, yeah, some yeah, of yeah. those, some to, of those yeah, options yeah, yeah. are taken from further chapters. So. Yeah, right. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we can leave some of that for Davos After Dark. But it was an interesting chat, and uh, it just... Uh, I don't know what to think of Heil sometimes. Uh, right. If, if he really was there and didn't help, like, inexcusable. And and mm-hmm. that's how I read it this time. But I, I don't know. What did you think? Uh, I, I didn't think about that so much. He's just a perfect example to me, though, of the humanity of George's characters, where... He seems like he really is honestly trying to stick up for Brienne in a way. Yeah. You know, he's taken on someone like Randall Tarley and 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 really sticking his neck out for her in front of this guy who's very uncompromising and very unforgiving and Heil knows that. So for him to say the things he says to Randall is admirable, yet there still just seems to be a bit of the, a bit of the broness, a bit of the popped collar with Heil and uh I just I just can't pin him down which yeah know, is a testament to George's writing that even a minor character gets a personality such as this. Well, yeah, I I mean it, it you're right it's it's very weird what what he's done here. I mean he sticks up for her, he defends her, he goes so far as to offend his lord enough that he has to quit his service. Right. Which is a big deal. I mean, we talked about this before, and it's highlighted in the Duncan Egg stuff. Uh, you know, when you're a hedge knight, just because you're a knight doesn't mean you get fed. Like, you have to go find work somehow. You have yep. to go... you got to go earn your coin somehow, get paid. Like, you're an independent he, he contractor. Went, exactly. He went from having a job to not. And, uh-huh. um, and, and so his motives for doing that are... I don't know. Maybe he just hates Tarly as much as the rest of us. But... He, you get the sense that he's doing it somewhat out of out of you know a feeling of kinship with Brienne on this, but also maybe he just smells the reward. I, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, she she does. Uh, Brienne does indicate that uh, that he has an honest face mm-hmm. in this chapter. Uh, whereas before, she has said twice that he doesn't have an honest face. Huh. So His honest face is a mummer's mask. Yeah. Yeah. So, huh. interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing what spending time with the person will, will do to you. 
Yeah, she's t- she's twice in previous chapters said that he doesn't have an honest face. Right. Now she says his honest face is a mummer's mask. So, I don't know. It's, maybe she's coming around a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Just a couple, couple quick callbacks. Uh, Titan's daughter, the ship that Brienne sees, is yeah. the ship that took Arya across the narrow sea. Um, I wondered if like Arya was on the ship as Brienne was watching it go. And I think we're pretty sure if we can follow the chronology of our feast dance reread, that that has already happened. And the Titan's daughter is making return trips back and forth, but, uh, that's where that one came from. Yes. Right. But, but she could have, well, you know, they didn't know who she was on the Titan's daughter. Right. So, right. Um, they wouldn't probably have been able to help her, but yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Just fun to, to see it coming back. Yeah. Um, and was I also noticed one? this was the first time that Stoneheart, the word, the, the, the name Stoneheart was used. Oh, was it? Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, hmm. uh, I don't know that I've got a whole lot more on this one. Uh no, I mean we've we've skated the Maribald stuff. Uh, oh, you know, not not saying much, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't have much to say. I mean, it's an amazing passage. Uh, right. Maribald seems like a a very interesting guy. Um, you know, I, I guess it it's somewhat interesting to read about him and then get the Cersei chapter with the new High Septon. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I don't know I don't know that I have much to say about it other than. He's amazing, and I want to see more. Yeah, he is really cool. Uh, another note on that was I, I liked the callback to um, penitence through giving up something. You know, he's walking. Uh-huh. He decided to ditch his shoes. It reminded me of someone else close to Brienne, namely Sir Jamie, and him shaving his hair. And obviously he didn't do that with the purpose of penitence. Um, but we've talked about this in the in the podcast before about how him shaving his beautiful golden locks kind of marked a change in Jamie's arc and the way he was developing and stuff like that. So the ditching the shoes, Jamie growing the beard and shaving his hair, I thought that was a cool comparison. Indeed. All right, shall we? Uh, shall we move on? Yes, let's. All right, let's do it. Samuel, that's you. You don't think that you belong here, but boy, let me tell you, you do. Samuel Tarley, they can hardly keep your dreams from coming true. Slaying things that'll make the bravest shiver. Time and time again, boy, you deliver. Slaying, fighting, reading, and writing. Samuel, boy, this world was made for you. Oh, Sam peers out the window of their chilly rented room at the Bravos Comfort Inn. Oh, man, the things he would see if he had a black light in there. (laughs) He's anxiously waiting for fellow watchman Darian to return with food and wine. Gilly observes that Darian doesn't like being holed up in their hotel room, preferring to be where the wine and the smiles are. Sam can understand not wanting to be around a weeping woman, a squalling baby, a sickled man, and a fat craven. Sam... Don't take, don't be so hard on yourself. But he is upset. Uh, Sam is. And Darian sings like a lark, but that's about all he's good for. Sam's also feeling a bit of anger at John for what he did to Gilly with the big baby switch. 
Uh, he asked Amon when Jon Snow's heart turned to stone, and Amon answered, when you raised him to be the Lord Commander. Whoa, boy. Sam is roused from his frustrations as Amon wakes up, uh, calling for Egg. That's the name, Egg. And as they repeat a conversation that's already been had a half dozen times, Sam thinks that the old man's wits are about donezo. Sam had spent the last of their money on a healer for Amon, only to have the healer tell him there was nothing that could be done, that the 102-year-old is simply an old man whose body is all but at its expiration date. And now they're stranded in Bravos, uh, cold and hungry. Amon insists that they must go down to the docks and find out about the dragons Darian had heard about during one of his alehouse excursions. But Sam tells him he is not strong enough. Amon says that Sam must go then and learn all he can of the beasts. He tells Sam that he will not live to get to Old Town, but there must be a reason that Amon has been allowed to linger so long, and he thinks it is because of these dragons. Sam is reluctant, but he cannot in the end bring himself to refuse Amon. So Sam leaves the inn and goes in search of Darien, thinking he'll have Darien help him learn of the dragons, and then they can get some food and go back together. On the way, Sam is accosted by two young bravos who intend to rob him. But the exchange is interrupted by a ragged, foul-mouthed girl pushing a wheelbarrow who recognizes him as a brother of the Night's Watch. The bravos leave when she pulls a knife, and the girl chastises Sam for wearing a sword at night, which is just asking to be challenged. She gives him some free clams and asks if he is sailing to the wall, but Sam says they are bound for Old Town, though he doesn't explain that their ship left without them when Amon proved too uh, sick to travel further. He asks who the girl is, and she tells him no one, but that he can call her Cat. She tells him she saw his brother Darian singing at the happy port, and that he's going to, quote, wed the sailor's wife. Hmm. Sam goes running to the brothel where he finds Darian partying with who he refers to as his wife. He invites Sam to join in the fun, but Sam is a stickler as expected and chastises Darian for violating his oath. Darian tells him no one cares. Even in Westeros, no one cares if a watchman violates their oath and says that surely Sam and Gilly had gotten it on a couple of times. Come on. <laughs> Sam pushes that aside asking Darian to help him find out about the dragons, as Amon wants to know. But Darian tells him he's done with the black, even throwing his black Night's Watch cloak at Sam. That's enough for Sam the Slayer, who cold cocks Darian right then and there. A fight ensues, with Sam holding his own and maybe even winning. Maybe it's due to stunning him with that first punch. Uh, until someone hauls him off the singer and throws him out of the brothel straight into the canal. Sam nearly drowns until a huge summer islander that had been in the brothel and seen the altercation hauls him out, performs a bit of violent CPR, and uh, he names himself as Jondo and tells Sam that Sam owes him some new feathers for the ones on his cloak that he'd just ruined while rescuing Sam. Uh, then this Jondo says, he says, Jondo mates on the cinnamon wind, 
a ship. Many tongues he speaks, a little. Inside, Jondo laughs to see you punch the singer, and Jondo hears. And it says a broad white smile spread across his face. Jondo knows these dragons. That's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Hmm. The Jondo what? knows. What doesn't Jondo know? Uh, let's see where whores go. Maybe. Hey, um, let's see. Uh, well, should we just address the big thing? We just had two POV characters cross paths. We did. Yeah. What? We totally did. Yeah. How cool is that? A little Arya who, who, (laughs) who's, who's so dedicated to her new path that, she answers no one instead of, hey, yeah, I have a brother up there at the wall with you. Right. Like, come you know on, Arya. Like, like, ugh. She could have Man. put down her wheelbarrow, stayed with Sam, and maybe gotten back to Westeros. Of course, she doesn't want to. She's committed. No, she but... doesn't want to. She's committed, yeah. yeah. Good honor. But Good I, honor. you'd think, I remember the reading this for the first time and just tearing my hair out. Mm-hmm. Like at least at least get an update. Just talk ask, to him. Yeah. Ask ask about about your brother. You yeah. know, like you can pretend for a minute to not be no one. Mm-hmm. You know, you're already <laughs> not really letting go. So it's, yeah, know. it's like when I when I lived in Brazil. anytime I would meet just an American in general, I would yeah. be so excited, and I'd want to talk <laughs> to them about everything going on back home and all of this stuff. And that's just—I uh-huh. just a fellow countryman. Yeah, but this is, uh, yeah, it's—it's it's like, come on, Arya, drop the facade for just a minute, have a conversation yeah. with the guy. But yeah. uh, kudos to her for sticking to it. She chases off two bravos with a knife. What a gal! Yeah, those bravos seem. Uh, hmm. Maybe not the toughest sort, I guess. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. Maybe Camel not. cunts, she calls them. <laughs> yeah, hence my foul mouth comment. Yes. Oh, that's that's what happens when you spend time with sailors and you know, the places Arya's been. Get on her. Yeah, indeed. Okay, uh, so, Arya, what else you got? Um, I don't know, not, not a ton, really, um... You know this. I guess Amon is the the big story and how how mm-hmm. bad a shape he's truly in here. Uh, right. And Dar- Darian is the other story. <laughs> you know, essentially quitting. Um, I don't know. I kind of. I don't want to say I feel sorry for Darian, but I kind of empathize with him. Like mm-hmm. he's this whole mission's a drag, and. He doesn't see it happening and 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 really being successful. He's got all this talent and he's well liked here and he I get it for himself. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I mean, you know, he's wrong, but I get mm-hmm. it. You know, if you remember his his story as well, right. uh, he was sent to, he was sent to the wall because he was found with some lords or some nobles uh daughter. Um, right. And you know, claims that claims that she was into him, right? That she willing, was, right? She was, yeah, willing, and it wasn't rape. Um, you know, and sent to the wall. So he feels hard done already. He feels like he could be a singer, you know, traveling and and you know, doing doing live shows and things. 
So I think he he sees this as like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's justice for me if I get back to doing it. Yeah. Because I was never well, guilty in the first place. Well, and it's like, you know, Sam reminds him of his vows, which he did take. And like you said, it's wrong to break your vow. But mm-hmm. what was he going to do except break his vows or, or make those vows in the first place? You yeah. got to take your vows if you're sent up to the wall. Like he felt yeah, forced yeah. into that too. And yeah. 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 So you do feel for him a little bit. Is he being a jerk? Absolutely. But I agree with you. Yeah. No, yeah. He handles it very poorly. Uh uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the least he could do is help get Sam and Gilly and Amon on their way, maybe to Old Town. And yeah. then be like, I'm I mean. help yeah, you guys get there. Let's get yeah. you squared away. But you know what? This whole Night's Watch thing, I know I took vows, but this just isn't for me. I got a good life here. I think I'm going to stick around. But I'm still going to help right. get you guys safely there. That's what I mean by he handles it poorly. He's, mm-hmm. It's not like he gets there and makes a mature decision like, you know what? Sam, this is the life for me. I'm staying. Mm-hmm. But I'll help I'll help you out. I'll, I'm going to sing for money. I'll bring food. You know, instead he's just gallivanting around. When Sam shows up, he shows no remorse at all. He's like, come join me! <laughs> you know, like, it's he does not handle it well. He's like a, you know, an addict that gets reintroduced to his drug and just goes overboard. And, yeah, I mean, what he should be doing is Handling the responsibility, then staying behind, right? Right. If that's what he wants to do. Um, Amon, uh, I don't know, one of the most interesting passages in this to me is, uh, you know, you get a lot of the stuff with Amon kind of remembering stuff from his from when he was younger. But one of the interesting things that I saw was when Sam realizes that Amon's afraid of death. Mm-hmm. That, he's, that he's, he's afraid. And, you know, Amon's an old guy. And a wise, wise individual. This shouldn't be something that's surprising to him. Um, you know, there's a there's a line. There's a line in uh, Sabrina Fair uh, where they're talking about someone that's just died. There's a funeral that the guy's going to go to, and the the wife says, "Oh, the the poor dears. It was so unexpected." And the husband says, "How can death be unexpected?" And yeah, I mean, Amon should see this coming. I would think he'd be prepared, but you know, some some people just aren't. I, I had my when my grandma died. Um, you know, she, she was pretty out of it a lot, and but she had one like one kind of lucid moment where we could clearly see that she understood what was going on and that we could talk to her. And my dad just kind of you know summoned all his courage and just said like, "You're not going to make it. The doctors told us that. Are you ready?" And it was. Like, she got this stone-cold look in her eye, like, don't you dare take me off support. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not ready for this. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't, she, she didn't want to die, and she wasn't ready. And I think Amon, now, especially with this dragon business, feels unfulfilled. Even though, you know, he should have been looking forward to this for 20 years of like, okay, what do I need to do to feel fulfilled here? Now he feels there's some great thing he needs to do. Right. Now it comes along when I'm 102 years old. Right. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Nice callback to your grandmother. R.I.P. Thanks. Uh, I thought it interesting on the topic of Amon. He's dreaming of dragons. Targaryens are known to have dragon dreams. Not all Targaryens, but uh-huh. some. 
And uh, but looking back, particularly in Amon's family tree, his three brothers. So with him making four, all of them, all of them did. Arion had had dragon right. dreams. Yeah, and so that's pretty potent. Arian was the one that drank the fire, right? Thinking it would turn him into a dragon. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that that came from a dream, I think, right? Yep. And Darion uh, was the oldest. Darion the drunk. We know him from the Duncan Egg tales as well, and he had a dream of a dragon. Um, and of course, Egg Aegon uh, dreamed of dragons, and that led to kind of his obsession with trying to bring dragons back, and maybe even the tragedy at Summerhall and all Summerhall, that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So. So, um, and I think, did we decide we were going to talk about that in Davos After Dark? I don't remember. Yes, a little bit. So maybe we'll get to some more there. Yeah. Think Amon had pneumonia? Do you think that was his big issue? I don't know. I didn't give it much thought. Uh, I, I kind yeah. of, I kind of, I, I, I was reminded of, again, going back to, to Louis C.K., the the bit where he's he's just talking about like well I go to the doctor and I tell him you know what's wrong and what do we fix he says well you, you know you're just old mm-hmm. and uh, you know again not to go back to my grandma too much but like when we really sat down with what she was dealing with she ended up dying of something that was not even really what her problem was to begin with it's just when you get to be a hundred and two in his case in Amon's case the problems just start compounding to the point where you just can't deal with them all. Your body can't, can't take it. So I don't know. I didn't, I didn't give, I didn't give a ton of thought as to what actually was, was hurting him. Just that, yeah, man, he's old. His body's not gonna be able to fight off everything. Yeah. I was thinking about his jaunt out on the deck of the ship in the rain. Yeah. Just took it. Probably didn't but, help. But you're right. Just the, uh, I, I have the quote from Lord of the Rings in my head when Elrond is talking to Arwen about, how terrible it would be to remain on Middle Earth, and what's the line he says about the you'll remain until the years of your life are just utterly spent, or what's the line? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know the line, but... Here you will dwell, bound to your grief under the fading trees, until all the world has changed and the long years of your life are yeah that yeah yeah that (laughs) uh let's see i just get a little ticked when when sam still calls himself a craven you're so much more than that sammy boy and i just wish that i could put my arm around you and just tell you that give him a pass he's just shy he's so introverted and shy and the two aren't mutually you know they're they're not the same. One doesn't equal the other. But uh, it seems when you look back at him that his his fears are not so much of, you know, like fighting others or stuff. He did. He was scared when that happened, but he went through with it. It seems like a lot of his fears come from those social scenarios, right? Yeah, social interactions, yeah. In particular, he was talking about how he was afraid to talk to Gilly about the baby. Um. And uh, I wonder if those, if he's afraid of those deep conversations in part because of his, his daddy issues, right? Of not being able to, I feel like he's never been able to have like a deep, meaningful conversation or even relationship really with anybody before maybe Jon Snow. 
Like yeah. it talks about how his mom loved him and everything. But even then, I sh- I think she kind of deferred to Randall, maybe out of fear. Um, and so I feel, I feel like she had like a carved out space that was her own, or Randall left her alone. And in that in that domain, probably she ruled. But it was very clear where that domain ended, and she didn't she didn't interfere at all outside right. of that. That's the impression I get. For, I don't know why I have that impression. That's the way I imagine it. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, where it's clear that the the man of the house rules the house. All right. And yeah. but at the same token, I'm sure Sam would have loved at some point for his mom to just stick up for him a little bit. And he knew that she wouldn't. Not because she didn't love Sam, but out of fear or, or whatever. But, just cuz it's not done. And you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Westeros. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this article that I read about a, a hockey player who he was he was telling the stories about how he was abused as a child by his father and everything, and particularly revolving around his play in hockey as a child and how, you know, if he didn't perform well on the ice, he could expect the beating when he got home. It seems just abhorrent to us, but it really happened to this kid. He would get, like, literally punched in the face if he didn't play well, and this is as a 10-year-old kid. And wow. uh, his mom would would say to him before games, she would say, your father's in a mood tonight. Please play well. Oh, jeez. Is what she would say to him, you know? Wow. And I, I would love to give Mrs. Tarley more credit than that, but it kind of made me think of that. And, and how dads like that can just screw up a whole family, right? They really can. Yeah. Yeah. But, Anyways, uh, I don't know that we have a whole lot more to talk about. Sure, let's move on. Okay. We got Jamie. Are you Jamie now? Yes. Would you know that he's deadly in a fight and a smile so wide to get cheating at the palm of his hand? Jamie Lannister got a thing for sister, gonna keep it quiet so we'll push a kid out of window. And when that king's lying, dead it doesn't matter, reason bottom line is sister treason. And deep inside, could there be something on if you could see a hero? Could that be? Said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister. Say it again, said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister. Jamie's pissed at his sister. What else is new? This huh. time she's had Tommen sign something that will take Jamie away to the Riverlands with two purposes in mind. Figure out what the hell is going on at Harrenhal. There's Gregor's men supposedly there and hostages and stuff, but they don't hear anything from them. Uh, and second, to retake Riverrun, which is currently already besieged by Lannisters, uh, but they're just kind of hanging out and not being successful at actually seizing it. Only one problem with this. Way back in A Storm of Swords... Jamie promised he wouldn't take up arms against the Starks or Tullys ever again. And Jamie has this thing now about honor. He's trying to, like, turn the corner and shit. So, as they want to do, they get in another argument. This time, who will control the King's Guard when Jamie departs, Osmond or Loras? For the record, it should be Jamie's call, but really, who cares how it ends? She slaps Jamie. Is anyone keeping count at this point? It's reaching Tyrion and Joffrey levels. Uh, the slapping. So, Jamie's attempts at coercion to stay are really last minute. Like, he walks out the door and they're actually leaving right now. Uh, 
When will then be now? Soon. And guess who's coming? Sir Ilan Payne is coming. That's right, the headsman himself. Uh, the former headsman and current mute will join the party, as will Sir Adam Marbrand, former uh, commander of the Gold Cloaks, uh, who's also a boyhood friend of Jamie's. So, they and a thousand or so more uh, depart uh, and try to restore some peace to the Riverlands. But they don't need numbers, really. They need swagger. As Riveren, as I mentioned, Riveren, as I mentioned, is already under siege by Lannister host. Cersei thinks that Jaime will provide just the headliner this campaign needs to just make the waves they need. So, Payne and Jaime start the trip off side by side, and it starts like many journeys do, happily, with a positive outlook on the trip ahead. While Payne made an excellent headsman, he seemed happy to be along for the ride. He leaves behind what was a meager, lonely existence, a cell that was rotting like his life, and now he has fresh air, a fresh mount, and he kind of seems content. Anyway, their first night, they sup at Hayford, and Jamie dons his new golden hand fashioned for drinking. Everyone fawns all over it until he spills and yells at Flemeth Brax, If you admire the bloody thing so much, lop off your own sword hand and you can have it. That quells the excitement for the golden hand. While at dinner they discuss Tyrek, Tyrek Lannister, the teenager that was whisked away and never found during the riots of King's Landing. Dead? Disappeared? Nobody knows, but thinking further on it that night, Jamie suspects Varys wasn't there that day and thinking about this is just pissing him off he really needs to train and burn off some energy wait what train train with the stump there's something you don't know about jamie jamie can fight left-handed or at least he's learning that's why illin is here you see it's genius jamie needs someone to spar with him while he teaches his traitorous left hand to sword fight but he can't let it get out how terrible he is or no one will respect him. So who better than a man that can't read or write to keep this secret? But Ilan punishes him in the training yard and laughs at him in his own clicking, laughing way uh, as he defeats him night after night. They dance every night uh, in some secluded spot as the train moves through the destroyed crownlands and riverlands. Finally, they arrive at Harrenhal, which Jamie has been ordered to sort out. That is... He's supposed to put it in respectable hands and suitably deal with any hostages, specifically one Willis Manderley, who's owed uh, to, to the Manderleys. So, he does both of these things, putting Sir Bonifer Hasty in charge and retrieving the hostages. I'll spare most of the details other than to say that Gregory's men confirm that Sandor is on the loose and killing people, that the goat, Vargo, is dead, having rotted and been served as food to the hostages, and that they themselves are owed for their service. Gold. Rich reward. Not the land that Jamie and Sir Bonifer are now offering. These are truly special, special men. Uh, that night, Jamie irons out the deal with Sir Bonifer Hasty. The man will take charge of Harrenhal. Hasty is a righteous man known for his special company called the Holy Hundred. He wants none of Gregory's men nor Pia, the whore that has been found at Harrenhal since uh, that's that's been at Harrenhal since before the war. Jamie, since Sir Bonifer Hasty doesn't want any of them, decides to take them all and wonders silently if Sir Bonifer can truly hold the massive Harrenhal with just his holy 86 men. James gets itchy for a fight again after chatting with Bonifer, and he seeks out Illyn for a scrap. But something happened on the way to the Illyn. He found the bear pit, and standing over it, Brienne's former betrothed and previous melee victim, Red Ronnet Connington. He gives us a story of said betrothal, uh, see, for him, marrying into the Tarth family would be a huge boon. 
Um, for he's a landed knight. He doesn't have a lot going for him. He's a smaller house, and getting, you know, the very big Tarth would be a it'd be a, a coup for him. But man, was she ugly, and he knew it going in. He gave her a rose and said, "This is all you will ever have of me." Anyway, he clearly goes out of his way to insult Brienne here, probably having no idea of Jamie's opinions and feelings toward Brienne. He indicates that her smile could turn the bear away, but also gallantly indicates that Brienne is less hairy than the bear. Jamie snaps and backhands Ron it with his open with his uh with, with his golden hand, pitching him down oh. the stairs. You were speaking of a highborn lady, sir. Call her by her name. Call her Brienne. Fracking swooning over here in this corner. Someone yep. get me the antidote, because I just fell for Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. I knew you'd get there. Well, there was a little sarcasm. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, good on him. Yeah, uh, of course, we go back to uh, Brienne demanding that Jamie call her by name, call her Brienne. Yep. She said it over three and over, or and over four again. times in the Sword of Swords. Storm of Swords, a sauce. Three or four hundred, I'd say. Well, I, was... I did a little. I did a little search of ice and fire for the phrase "call me Brienne," and I uh, found it four times. Okay. But uh, you get the impression. I think you get the impression that she's said it more. Like, well, like maybe some variation. Like, yeah, that I didn't pick up. Right, some variation that isn't exactly "call me Brienne," but right. Brienne or mm-hmm. I'm a lady or yeah, I don't know, Brienne. Something. My yeah. name's Brienne. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matt, you are a loyal friend. Do you mm. backhand someone down into a bear pit with your solid gold hand if you don't love the person they insulted? I would do it for you, buddy. I think you I, would. I actually almost got into a fight at my hockey game last night because um, someone on the other team, after the period had ended, the whistle had just blown, and our goalie was starting to skate out of the net, but not paying attention, and a guy on the other team just ripped a shot at the net, like a good four or five seconds after the whistle blew. And mm-hmm. I, it's very unsafe, right? Because the goalie's not paying yeah. attention. It could hit him when he's not prepared. And I lost my crap, man. And I went after the guy. So I would like to think that I would do that. How about you? Well, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not a violent guy. I, hmm. I don't. I, I abhor it. I do, mm-hmm. I've never been in a fight. I don't. I, I don't. I've, I've never. I mean, I've, luckily, I've never really had been put in a position where I've had to like stand up to somebody in that way. I mean, I've stood up to people before under you know like a threat of violence, I suppose, but it's <laughs> never come to violence. Um, and I so no, you. I don't. I don't. What's that? I said, bless you. Well, it's, it's, I'm not bragging. Um, I, I just it, it hasn't happened that way. So, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't. I can't see myself doing that. Yeah. I, I I would I I would see myself verbally sparring back and insulting them back and putting them Good. in their place, but yeah, yeah. But I uh, I can't see myself hitting people. That's that. fine. Yeah. Whether whether I love them or not. Sure. Like like if somebody insulted my wife, could I like? I still don't think I'd hit them. I like I don't know. It's hard There's to other imagine. ways to handle it. You don't have to do it with your fist, man. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Well, I wonder no. if I'd think differently about it if I thought I was a capable fighter. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It's just stewing inside of you, man. You don't even know <laughs> the violence it's that like, you're capable like, of. Like, like the uh, do you see the Christmas story? Yeah, we talked about this before. Yeah, <laughs> where he just like he rages and he's just like pounding on him, like the gloves yeah. are flying everywhere. Yeah, he's not doing any real damage, but it's just like this rage flowing through him. Let yeah. the hate flow through Let you. Let the hate flow through you. Yeah. 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 You just gotta do a little more uh hate flowing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while we're on this topic, there things got a little heated on the old Twitter today of people talking did, about yeah. Jamie and Brienne's relationship and if they're in romantic love or if it's something different. Yeah. Or or more. I, I I hesitate to say different, but yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, I, well, I, when I was a freshman in college, I was infatuated with the idea of love and mm-hmm. what it meant and mm-hmm. how to find it. You know, keep in mind I was a loser kid that never had any luck in that in that avenue. Um, but I actually bought a poster at the bookstore that was that it said "What is love?" and it had like all of these quotes on it. And it even had like uh, it it had it had like a uh, it, but it it wasn't it wasn't I mean it was kind of cheesy but it was uh-huh. it was more it was more like philosophical like it had uh-huh. a bunch of quotes from different authors of like like defining it and some were you know comedic and some were Shakespeare and there was one that was just an equation right that was like distance over you know whatever it was you know trying to measure how you how you would actually create a equation for love so um, when I was reading this this Twitter exchange today. I was just thinking, like, and I, I did respond. I, I just said, you know, I, I think it's best described as just calling it. It's complicated. The I, relationship. I don't, I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know that it's. I don't know that he that either of them are in love with each other. There's certainly interest. There's certainly um, respect and admiration. Um, those things turn into. There's so many different kinds of love and so many different ways that yeah. love comes about that I develops I and grows. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it, it matters. You know, Brooke and I used to argue all the time about Brienne and Renly, right? And whether she really loved him. And what does it matter? What, what's the, like, why, why do we have to label it as such? And uh, it's interesting. It's complicated. They have, they have a very, they met under very strange circumstances. They had this epic journey across the land where they learned a lot about each other and, challenged each other and, and supported each other in, in different ways. And I don't know if it's love. It's almost, it's almost insulting to try to label it. It's just, it is what it is. I would agree with you. Um, yeah. And, and my main point, I don't know if I made it very well on Twitter is that just because, just because a guy hits another guy, for insulting a woman, I I hesitate to say that he is in love with that woman just because of that thing. Do you know what I mean? Or just because he thinks of her fondly. Uh, I just, I, I don't feel like it's cool to believe that Jamie's defense there is only motivated by romantic reasons. Sure. And, and instead, leaving open the possibility that it, that those motivations could be 
just because he respects her as a person. Right. And yeah, right. he's got strong feelings that I think need uh, – both of them do have strong feelings that I think both of them need to work through and figure out and things need to develop in their relationship and they're still figuring stuff out. But – Or they don't need to. I mean how, how many, how many right. times do you go you're through your right. life and you have mm-hmm. different types of relationships with different people and sometimes you go through and you have a relationship with someone – that's not romantic but it is strange and weird and stimulating and it brings you to a certain place in your life and yeah. you don't you don't need to work through it it just needs to be what it is and it needs to be what it sure and, and and i'm not saying that having romantic feelings for her is less important or less or that he's not having them what yeah. i am saying is that we shouldn't just default to that mode of thinking sure. immediately I'm, sure. He's doing this because he's in love with her. No, think it through. I, I think approaching it that way a little more carefully not only does all the things we just talked about, but it also does a certain amount of credit to Brienne that he's regarding her as a human being first. She's an actual human that deserves yeah. his defense because of the good qualities that she has and because of the unique and interesting relationship that they share. He's not defending her just because he's in romantic love with her. Right. He's defending her because of the type of person that she is. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. And he could be in love with that person. I don't know. It's just we shouldn't jump to those types of conclusions i think too quickly i mean i think if you look textually um we have his pov we have Mm -hmm. her pov Mm -hmm. neither one of them are head over heels talking about how they're in love with each other and that's something if you think about your own life you can probably think back to points where you were thinking i'm in love with this person and you know it and you can identify it but 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 just because But but just because we haven't seen that in the POV doesn't mean they aren't thinking it at some point. We're just not getting that part of the POV. Also, sometimes, you can probably think back to your own life, you've had complicated relationships with people, and you are still working through exactly how to define it. You can't say, I'm in love with this person, because you don't know what's going on. You haven't haven't Mm -hmm. put those labels on it yet. So, Mm. we spent a lot of time talking about this, and I haven't said anything of value other than it's complicated. Which is what I should have just left it with. <laughs> can I can I spend a little more time on it? Absolutely. Sorry. You got to tell a story and now it's my turn to tell a story. <laughs> People say I'm a little bit more guarded with my personal life than you are sometimes. I've heard that said before. And so now we're digging into Matt's stories. People I say that? I, I've heard it like twice. <laughs> so I guess people, meaning two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I share stories. But anyways, growing up, I had I, – I, I was thinking about this and I realized I have experienced perhaps what Jamie and Brienne are experiencing. Hmm. Um, and it was right – it's been right in front of my nose almost my whole life. I had this friend growing up. I'm going to call her – I didn't think of a name. We'll call her Stacy uh, to protect the innocent. But um, wonderful girl. You wouldn't meet a kinder, more genuine humble, sweet, talented, very beautiful girl. She was absolutely wonderful. And 
I had the great privilege of being her friend, and we became especially close in high school. We had a wonderful chemistry, a deep and abiding respect and friendship and all of these things, and never once was I romantically attracted to her, despite all of these fantastic qualities. And she wasn't to me, which is obvious. Um, <laughs> because you see me. But... Um, and and it was weird, and everyone was talking about how Matt and Stacy needed to start dating because of how perfect they were for each other. And I know my parents were, like, chomping at the bit to get me to date this girl. Um, we spent a ton of time together, and especially in high school, she was one of my closest friends I had. And never – I never even thought – well – I was uh, there's a couple of times where I was like I should like Stacy I really should like her like you're trying to convince yourself but I don't yeah <laughs> and and she's just amazing the only time that I really got serious about it was when I lived in Brazil and um, for those who are joining the podcast and haven't listened to back episodes I lived in Brazil for two years from when I was 19 to 21 and I was about four months four or five months away from coming home. And she and I had kept up correspondence while I was there, as I had with other friends. And I just realized, I was like, I'm never going to find anybody better than Stacy. I need to be in love with her. And I need to, I need to kick this thing into gear when I get home. And this is going to work, right? And because it needs to, because she and I are perfect for each other. I get home from Brazil, and I remember she came to the house the first night I got home, and we spent time together, as I did with other friends, too. And it wasn't until after she left, and after we'd had a great time together, that I realized not once did I think about that claim that I'd had four months earlier that I needed to be in love with her and I needed to kick this thing into gear. It's almost like I'd completely forgotten that I'd even had that thought mm -hmm. because we just reverted right back to who we were as friends. And, and so, you know, the point of all this being, I'm telling a very long story and I'm sorry, but the point of all this being that you can have very meaningful, wonderful relationships that have nothing to do with romantic feelings. And again, I'm not saying that Jamie and Brienne can't have rom a romantic relationship, but I am saying it's possible. It is indeed possible to, to have uh, something different. And that's totally okay too. To where yeah. I would, I would, you know, if someone said something bad about Stacy, I would go Jamie levels of ballistic on that person. No questions asked would I do that. Get me the golden hand. I need to yeah. hit someone. Right, right. And, uh, you know, she, one of our favorite songs, and she she included the song lyric in a letter she wrote to me was, uh, it's from a Lifehouse song. Don't make fun of Lifehouse. They've got some cool songs. Um, and, and the song lyric is, how can I stand here with you and not be moved by you? How can I stand here with you? Right? This idea that just being in someone's presence makes you, you know, changes you for the better. And uh Yeah. We didn't have any of the romantic stuff. That's, now where that's I really a... found it was when I found someone like my actual wife, who I felt those same feelings for. And then I also felt just that reckless abandon, just absolutely in love with everything about you. You know, the Alicia Keys, 
you know the song uh it's my favorite Reckl- one. reckless, reckless love, love. Yeah. oh that off the wall won't stop till i get enough kind of love yep. type thing And so I, with my wife, I found that the, the reckless love with the, how can I stand here with you and not be moved by you, uh, combination. And that's when it really worked. But anyways, that's the story of Stacy. That's a sweet Lifehouse lyric, but I'm pretty sure he's just talking about getting an erection. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because that follows with you're all I want. You're all I need. You're everything. Yeah. Everything I need to become aroused. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Gosh, we spent a long time on just a very small aspect of this chapter. We did. Um, I don't know. The the only other really interesting stuff, I suppose, is Jamie's uh, training. Uh, mm. You know, it, it's interesting. For the first couple times I read the I read this about you know how he's so awful. I'm like, why? He still has all of the right instincts to fight. He still should be able to position himself correctly, move his body correctly. He's still agile and quick. He's still strong. Like, he should he should still be okay. And then I started trying to compare it to something I knew anything about, which we've established. I don't know anything about fighting. Um, so I started thinking about soccer, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like, if my right foot sucked all of a sudden, I had a magical right foot, guys. Like, I could put the ball on a dime from 40 yards away. Wow. Uh, it was really good. But if it sucked all of a sudden... I could still do all the normal instinct stuff, putting myself in the right positions, you know, making myself available for passes, all the, you know, all the things mm-hmm. that, that you need to do to really be a good soccer player. I could still do those things, mm-hmm. but the final ball or the final shot that, I, you know, the shot that I took at the end to finish the play or the, the final pass I needed to make would be off and it would negate the entire attack. So it's like, yeah, he might be able to move and, and do 95% of all the battle things correct. But when he flails his left arm out there and it can be parried away easily, it doesn't matter if all the rest of that stuff is okay. That finishing stroke is what matters. So I came around. Yeah, it'd be like uh, same thing with holding the hockey stick the other way. You know, not holding it with your left hand, holding it with your right hand. You could still do it, like you said, but uh, there would be a lot to learn. And, And this is a life or death thing when it comes to sword fighting, so... Yeah, you got to be good. Yeah, it's this this hand though. It seems like if if he if he maybe he didn't know or maybe he didn't design it. I don't I don't know how he got the hand if if if, if we do know that. But it seems like he should have designed it to hold a buckler, to hold a shield. Yeah. Yeah, yeah instead of a wine glass, but <laughs> whatever. I I get the feeling that he was kind of ambivalent towards the design of the hand. He even comments later that a hook would have been just as good. Yes, he does. Yeah. He does. <laughs> yeah. Kind of nice. Uh, well, I, at least I thought it was nice that Jamie's trying to, like, save Sir Illyn from his fate. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no. It's just self-serving. No, it's, yeah. it's just Jamie being Jamie. Get him out of the squalor that Illyn Payne is apparently living in. Oh, gross. Yeah. Right? Yes. But, but really, it was all about Jamie. Yeah. I need you... To be quiet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And since you can't talk anyways, yep, you're the guy for the job. 
I want to say uh, something about Cersei too here. She, she she commented in I think it was her last chapter about how she would rather be rid of Jamie sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And here it is. Like yep. say say what you want about Cersei. Like she makes her mind about stuff, and she does it. She sees it through. We're going to yeah, see that like, in the next chapter. Yeah, like it's you know th- these are not idle thoughts she has. She like acts on them. Uh-huh. Uh. And uh, Jamie, very interesting thoughts regarding Cersei, right? He's yeah. just absolutely hates her, it He's seems like. Yeah. Um, she hates the beard. He's not shaving the beard. Uh, but still, he has those thoughts about how he wants to, quote, rip the, her gown off and turn blows to kisses. Mm-hmm. That's the the reckless love lyric coming in there, maybe. Mm. Always going back to Lancel, Osmond, and Moonboy. Yes. Which I think might... Is that more of a pride issue than anything? Like, she used to be mine. No, I I think it's... What she's giving to them. You know, now she's giving to these lesser men. Uh, No, I think think he's hurt by it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think he's... I don't think it's like a pride thing for him. I think it's... He was faithful to her. He's been faithful, and sure. She's not, and so clearly, when when he, it seems like he has those thoughts when he's trying to trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, and then he reminds himself, like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, she was always, she was all, she all, she never felt for me the way I felt for her. She was always, for her. yeah, doing okay. these other things. That's the way I feel about it. But uh, Shitmouth is amazing. I want him on the Iron Throne. <laughs> He's quite the guy. <laughs> he spits in his hands and rubs <laughs> his cheeks face. to try to make himself look better. <laughs> oh, when Jamie sucks about, he's going <laughs> to stick a spear up his butt or something, and he totally believes him. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like, oh, I'm so... <laughs> yeah. uh, Good guy. Uh, Gre- Gregor's men. Okay. Uh, are we done? I think we're done. All right. Let's move on to Cersei. That's you. Alluring eyes can get the guys with promises, lies that cast aside. Can't she be the man she thinks her family needs? One brother she hates, with the other she mates. Those debts can she repay, Cersei Lannister. So, OMG, Scatty, Cersei's life is like so stressful. It's so hard. <laughs> with everything going on right now, now she finds herself riding in a litter all the way out to Baylor's Sept. And you know why? Because the new High Septon hasn't given Tommen his blessing yet. And she has to deal with the smelly people. Oh, the horror. If only folks knew what she really went through to keep the Seven Kingdoms running. Uh, with her is her new BFF, Taina Merriweather, and Cersei is fishing for information on Marjorie's potential interest in other dudes, particularly those in her entourage. They also talk of Marjorie's claim to have not consummated her and Renly's marriage due to Renly being um, over-inebriated. You know, this is stuff that mother-in-laws commonly look into with their, with their daughter-in-laws. 
Anyways, as they get closer to the Sept, their talk turns to the new High Septon, a man whose previous name is unknown and who seems to have come from the humble, bluest of blue-collar circumstances. Uh, perhaps not inconsequentially, he, we find that he see, appeared to be one of those traveling Septons, just kind of like Maribald, who kind of made his rounds amongst the poor in, uh, in Westeros. Now, he's not the first High Septon to make the transition from low, low class to the highest religious position in the Seven Kingdoms. But the fact that he was chosen above other more well-known candidates is a bit suspect. So let's talk about sparrows. This is the name given to the poor people who have sworn themselves to the face of the seven. And Cersei's litter, as Scad mentioned, is blocked at the foot of Visenya's hill by a great gathering of these stinky, filthy, poor sparrows, all camped upon the steps leading to the great sept. Cersei is appalled. These people are filthy. But rather than potentially inciting a riot by ordering them to be cleared away, she makes the difficult decision to continue to the sept on foot, surrounded by her king's guard, of course. Um, and I don't blame her on that. I would have taken them too. Arriving at the sept, Cersei is further annoyed when guards tell her that the king's guard can't bring their weapons in, so she goes in by herself. Uh, inside, she finds a group of humbly dressed men on their hands and knees scrubbing the floor. It doesn't take her long to recognize they are all septons. How demeaning! And she soon meets the new high septon. He's dressed just like the others. Calloused, bare feet, a plain face, completely undecorated. In fact, he tells her that the fine robes and crown given to the last high septon by the Lannisters had been sold to feed the poor. Cersei recalls with disgust how the most devout, which is the ruling body that chooses the new High Septon, had been close to naming another before a horde of sparrows broke into the Great Sept with their leader on their shoulders and their axes in their hands. Hmm. Anyways, as they go to meet privately, Cersei tells the High Septon she wants the filthy and scary sparrows gone from the city. The High Septon replies that them being there is no more inappropriate than performing an execution there not so long ago. Boom! Hashtag Eddard Stark. He continues, saying most of the sparrows have nowhere to go. Full-scale devastation and destruction is going down throughout the country. Rapings, pillagings, burnings. Those devoted to the faith are not immune and perhaps even more exposed to the violence due to their peaceful nature. They're not going to fight back. So why isn't the crown doing anything to protect the faithful? The Septon asks. So here's where we arrive at the I want, you want moment. Cersei wants the High Septon to give Tommen his official blessing. Right? The High Septon wants protection for his clergy throughout Westeros. Eventually... Brought up is the Order of the Faith Militant. Now, the Faith Militant was an arms-bearing organization that answered not to the crown, but to the faith. It had been outlawed by King Magor and had been defunct since. If it could be brought back, its ranks perhaps being filled, filled partially by the very sparrows outside, the High Septon would have the protection he desires for the faith without King Tommen having to dispatch men from his own forces. 
In addition, Tommen's show of concern for the faith would certainly prove his choiceness in the eyes of the seven, and he would certainly be worthy of the High Septon's blessings. Now, Cersei is all sorts of down with this. She loves the idea. Definitely, let's bring back the faith militant. She throws in one more condition, that the faith forgive the 900,000 dragon debt that the crown owes them, uh, which the High Septon agrees to do, and they're good to go. Cersei gets the High Septon's blessing and a paid-off credit card. And the High Septon gets a military organization that answers to no one but him. Sounds fair. Cersei bolts before the High Septon can change his mind. And she's on cloud nine as she returns to the Red Keep. Until she, re until she runs into her favorite person ever. Marjorie! Oh, she hates Marjorie. She hates how she's always active, always riding through the countryside, all happy with her entourage. How she mingles with the small folk, giving alms, supporting local small businesses, and building relationships. Ugh! If it weren't for Cersei, Marjorie would have Tommen doing the same thing. Can you imagine? So they talk, and it's very passive-aggressive and all of this stuff, and you can tell that they're both having a great time doing these little verbal jabbings at each other. It culminates in Cersei warning Marjorie to be careful in the woods, because uh, you'll remember that's where her husband, King Robert, had been killed. Marjorie smiles at her and says that Sir Loras, her brother, uh, keeps her well protected. Now, at this point, Cersei remembers a conversation that she and Taina had had, where Taina suggested rather coyly that Marjorie and Loras spend a lot of time together. Maybe they're uh, doing more than just riding through the countryside. Maybe they're doing a different kind of riding. And... <laughs> This causes Cersei to laugh because what an unheard of thing having a sexual relationship with your brother. So when she laughs out loud at thinking this, Marjorie asks, uh, Your Grace, you laugh so prettily. Might we share the jest? You will, the Queen says. I promise you, you will. And that's where this wonderful chapter ends. Yeah, and and we should take Cersei as, at her word, as as uh, as I just laid out in that Jamie chapter, which she makes up her mind. She does something, so I don't know what she's going to do to Marjorie here, it. but but uh, seems like it's some sort of uh, accusation at, at Marjorie. <laughs> oh boy, here we go again. Yeah. So, am I reading this right? Did Cersei just agree to let the state religion have an army? Yep. <laughs> and she's overjoyed at this idea. Yeah, well, she's overjoyed because uh, she's dumb, uh, but also <laughs> because she, the way she sees it is they're going to be on her side, that they will fight... Mm -hmm. uh, the Stannis who worships something besides, besides, you know, the seven, but mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I haven't done a ton of, of history checking on this and I don't think Cersei did either, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think the faith militant doesn't 
go out and attack other faiths. They just protect their own. Yeah. I don't I don't think I don't think they're going to go create an army to attack Stannis. It's like cool. Now we can protect ourselves on the roads and yeah, their their mandate is to defend the faith. Yeah. That so being if, said, if Stannis were to I mean I yeah, I guess if Stannis were to come to town they might fight for her. Right. But I don't think that's that being what she's said, really envisioning. She doesn't get to command who they attack. And right. she doesn't get to countermand no. any orders from the High Septon. No. That said, like if you if you do, you know, I I get the impression she she's someone that came to the bartering table not understand understanding really what the person across from them was really asking for. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think she feels like well, I know she feels like this was a huge win and I don't really disagree with her. It's hard to see what she gave up because she doesn't understand, but what she got for the forgiveness of that debt is huge. That's a huge amount of money. Right. And so I don't I don't think it should be sneezed at. Um but but at the same time, if she has no idea what she's just done. Hey, she's she's uh she's getting the blessing she wanted for Tommen. It's yeah. funny that she's so enamored with this idea. Um uh so she she says rituals and ceremonies had power in the eyes of the ignorant. I believe by the ignorant she means like the small folk. Uh-huh. Well if the high septon blesses you know, Tommen, they're just going to love him because yeah. he supports him. Yet, and I talked about this in my summary, <laughs> she, she she completely ignores the fact that the small folk love Marjorie Tyrell. Uh-huh. And why do they love Marjorie Tyrell? Because she spends time amongst them. She builds a relationship with them. With them, and that is absolutely abhorrent to Cersei. Heaven forbid Tommen do something like that, where he could really increase his popularity. Yeah, no, no, just no, needs a blessing, and it'll be fine. She just wants the stamp. Yeah, she yep. just wants the ceremony. She yeah, just no doesn't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wondered about the faith and, and and forgiving this debt, and like I don't know, I don't know where they're getting their income from. Hmm. Like, like, where do they get their money from? But this new Septon doesn't seem like he gives a, a, a jot about money anyway. No. Like, so... I wonder know, if it's... Probably a... to him, he's just like, oh, I don't care about the debt. I'd... Yeah. We get all this money coming in from donations. I don't. We don't need I it all anyway. it's donations, alms, yeah. or a tithing type thing or something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but man, a, a religious army is scary. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... Yeah. Yep. I mean, th- there's a reason they did away with it all those, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, right? Yeah, that wasn't a bad idea by King Magor there. Yeah. In in my humble opinion. <laughs> well, it's it's not... Okay, so just going back in history real quick. So before there was the United Kingdom, there were all, uh-huh. these, all these separate kingdoms, and, and before that there were even... Um, you know, just little independent little kings of, you know, yep. tiny little fiefdoms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't, it, it made sense for there to be a faith militant. They were going to be wandering beyond in different countries, doing all sorts of different things and, you know, in the different kingdoms. It made sense to have kind of an order that could span across, across these things and to be respected by all of them. They all respected this, you know, the religion of the seven. And so, 
yeah, let's have this order that we can all respect and it's okay. They're not they're not really fighting for any one of the kingdoms, they're just fighting for the religion, right? And so it kind of made sense. But as soon as you centralize everything and you have an army that is meant to be for this centralized kingdom, then it starts to become a conflict. Right? At least that's the way I feel. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to get a Marjorie POV. Yeah. Um, slightly changing topics just a little bit. Just to see what uh what she what's going on in her head. Yeah. I agree. It's it's uh you know, it's we don't ever talk about the show. Uh, but it's one of the things in the little watching of the show that I did that I really liked about that, that you got it. You kind of got to see more of Marjorie in the books. Marjorie, it's it's very hard to get a read on her, and because it's all what, through Cersei. Yeah, it's almost. all through Cersei, and she doesn't mm-hmm. really respect her opinion. And there are these little kind of quips and barbs and things like that. So you know she's clever. She's got a good wit, but you don't know whether she's playing the game or just a pawn that somebody else playing. is using. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'd, I'd kill for a, a, a Marjorie POV. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. It seems, feels like we have of like POVs we'd most like to see and uh, add Marjorie Tyrell to that list for me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I think I'm done. <laughs> uh, I had a lot. Let's see. Um, I've got more, but yeah, I think this is... Uh, look, can we talk about the new Septon real quick? Yeah, pretty interesting. I, I don't. It doesn't seem like. I mean, I didn't go do an exhaustive look at their history, but it doesn't seem like this is how it's done to bring a new Septon, like violently <laughs> crashing through the doors and like placing this new guy there. Yeah, like, certainly it seems, seems odd. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting choice. It seems like he's just a common a common guy. Um, so you know that it, it they did. You know, talk about how seriously did talk about how they've had a lot of weird high septons in the past, right? That don't seem to fit. And mm-hmm. this guy's, I mean, you could argue he fits perfectly. He's just different than what they've been doing. Um, but that's the kind of person you should have. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, he's still, he's still playing the game too, right? I get what I want. You get what you want. Let's compromise. So and maybe he's not that different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah, maybe just a, a little different focus. Um, but he appears he appears on the surface to care deeply about his people. And, and uh, yeah, it seems like, to me, a kind of refreshing change. Yeah. 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 All uh, right. What, sh- go ahead. What? Do you want to do just a, a quick callback to sure. the Brienne chapter? What when, is it? Well, when uh, we remember when Brienne's traveling with Pod, she spots a group of sparrows that's led oh, by yeah. a septon with feet that are bare and black, gnarled and hard as tree roots, and he otherwise fits the description of this high sparrow. So just a quick callback to Brienne seeing uh, or crossing paths with the high sparrow as he made his way down to King's Landing. Right. Oh, and he they had the uh, the bones of the septons that have been killed in the Riverlands. And the chapter mentions, I didn't mention it in my summary, how um, they piled those bones out front of the uh, Sept of Baylor, around the statue of Baylor. So, right, right. Yeah, so just a little callback. Uh, one one little quick, just funny thing. 
they're naming the new warships, and uh, oh Cer- yeah, Cersei was letting Tom and naming them, <laughs> and he was gonna name, he was gonna name one of them Moon Boy, <laughs> <laughs> and I, it reminded me of uh, this made the news in our office, so you probably remember the story, uh, but they they let. I think it was in Scotland or, or England, they let the public decide the name of this super expensive brand new research vessel, uh-huh. a new boat that basically that was going to go do a bunch of scientific research, and the public decided to name it Bodie McBoatface, <laughs> <laughs> with, with, which just, just reminded me of it. It's like, this, this is what happens when we let the public do things. Right. Sometimes you just need someone intelligent to do it for you. Mm-hmm. what's the uh the parks and rec episode i bet you've seen it by now where she, leslie nope lets the people of pawnee determine the new town slogan i don't think i have seen that yet okay i'll let you go watch it then <laughs> before <laughs> I, I ruin it it is uh, you're pretty close uh, to it it judging from the last time you watched it it has literally become one of my favorite shows i knew it i yeah. knew it uh, chris traeger Chris Trigger. And Perkins. Okay. Um, but yeah, Tommen's little names for the ships is refreshing and fun to see. Yeah. All what right. are the so other ones? Uh, oh. Lady Marjorie, Olena, Lady Olena. Yeah, there's a few. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he, he did, uh, he named one after his sister as well, I think, Marcella. Oh, yeah, Marcella. Uh-huh. And then there's one like called like the golden flower or something along those lines too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Tyrells definitely got their, uh, got their licks in on some got of those their names. name drops. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Do you want to uh, go over to dance with dragons? Sure. Let's do it. Do it. Okay. The lost Lord. Here we go. New music, new music. Cue it up. Some bonds are written ink, but the best are written blood. And you know that I'd do anything to save you if I could. So I'll dig my heels in deep, elevate my prince's son. And the bells will chime redemption for John Connington. John with a gun, Connington. Griff is sick of waiting. He had been waiting for 12 years to move on this plan and try and get back home, and here he is waiting again. This time for Halden to return with three horses so that he, Halden and Aegon, can ride to meet the Golden Company. The original plan was to reveal Aegon to Daenerys Targaryen when she came west, to wash the blue out of his hair and proclaim who he was in front of Danny. But she has made a hash of that plan by squatting in Marine. So Aegon and Griff have made a new plan, to reveal themselves to the Golden Company, men they have paid for, men that by rights and tradition should support Aegon's claim. But Lamora is a little wary. It's been a long time since John Connington rode with these men, and a long time since the original plan was discussed with their then-leader, but now deceased, Miles Toyne. There's much risk here. Now, the new leader may not know of the deal, may pretend not to know of the deal, or may simply choose not to honor it. Still, uh, Griff is committed. Halden returns with three horses, but he's paid too much for the three subpar horses. The mood in the city is one of let's get the fuck out of here due to the Dothraki across the river and the brewing conflict between the Golden Company and Volantis. Still, the horses will serve to get them there. 
Aegon emerges from the Shy Maid, and he looks the part. Only his still-dyed hair serves to obfuscate him now, as he is dressed handsomely in the colors and manner of a Targaryen prince. Black and red everywhere, basically. They arrive the three miles and find an orderly, well-made camp in some of Jon's fears' ease. This new leader, Homeless Harry Strickland, is doing a good job from all appearances of the camp. They are met by Sir Franklin Flowers, a man both Griff and Halden know from twelve years ago. He guides them through camp, seemingly nobody recognizing Jon, and for now it appears that the lie that Jon drank himself to death in lease after stealing from the company's war chest has done its job. He seems to be a forgotten man. They are brought into a tent with the high officers of the Golden Company, already embroiled in a war council. Some of the men greet John warmly, but in others he senses trepidation and caution. They might not all be welcoming to this plot, he realizes. Strickland has aged poorly. Portly with thin, thinning hair, he fails to rise as they enter. Blisters, he says. Strickland opens the discussion bluntly. And this must be your son! But the time for secrets is done. No man could have asked for a worthier son, but the lad is not my blood, and his name is not Griff. My lords, I give you Aegon Targaryen, firstborn son of Rhaegar, prince of Dragonstone by Princess Elia of Dorne, soon, with your help, to be Aegon, the sixth of his name, king of the Vandals, the Roinar, the first men, and the lord of the Seven Kingdoms. Crickets. No surprise in the room at all. They knew. To a man, they already knew. Strickland had to tell him, he claims, to explain why they're just sitting there waiting by the side of the river instead of taking on rich contracts that they keep getting offered. And now, to be honest, the Golden Company is in a bit of a treacherous spot. They want to support Danny and her claim, as they've been paid to do, but her staying in Marine Marine has hurt their plans. Now they have no good way to meet up with her. There's no fleet to take them to Marine. A tantalizing offer from the Yunkishmen to fight against her... They could easily feign acceptance of that offer and then join Danny when they arrive, but that would greatly damage their mostly unbesmirched reputation. They came to the same conclusion about the demon road that Quentin had recently come to, that it's not a good idea. John Connington is seething at all these excuses, but Strickland hammers the final point home. They'd honor the contract if they could, but they don't see how. Perhaps Magister Illyrio ought not to have put so much hope on his child queen. Then put your hopes on me, Aegon demands. Mm. I am the only dragon you need. He implores them to sail to Westeros, now, with him, the true heir to the throne. Let his aunt come when and if she will. The men love the idea, each warming to it eagerly for all sorts of reasons. All save Harry Strickland. He opposes them at every turn, and John notes his temerity as cowardice. Still, he seems overpowered here with all of his men desiring this new path. They all swear fealty to Aegon, even Harry in the end, agreeing that until they reach Westeros, Aegon is to remain Griff. Halden is sent back to the Shymaid to collect Duck, Lamor, and all their things, and they're going to move forward with this plan. The task done, the the road ahead full of peril, John Connington retires to a tent given him by Harry, and wonders to himself if he has enough time left to see Westeros again. Enough time left to sit his seat in Griffin's Roost. Enough time to still the bells in his head, reminding him of his failure of Rhaegar. Enough time to see Aegon crowned in King's Landing. Mm. Enough time for all of that before the grey scale that had already claimed his middle finger could claim the rest of him. And the chapter ends. Wait, so what you're saying is... 
<gasps> John Connington has he's yeah a skin problem. He's he's he needs some lotion, uh, <laughs> or he'll get the hose again. He's got a dead nail. Maybe he like slammed it in a door or something. Yeah, so he's contracted grayscale, Uh-oh. and uh, it moves pretty quickly. I mean, I, I think we're we're supposed to assume that he got it just recently when he jumped in and saved Tyrion. Right. And it's only been a matter of weeks, and he's already lost, lost, uh, about half of his middle finger is already gray. Uh, his fingernail completely black, and he's hoping he's got a few years to see all these things through to uh, redeem himself in the eyes of dead Rhaegar. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. I mean, uh, certainly could be, you know, a reason he's so interested in pushing this forward and not waiting for Danny that he does, he feels some urgency. Yeah, and obviously the worry is, you know, is the urgency going to lead to mistakes yeah because it's kind of it's kind of a selfish urgency right yeah yeah a little bit i mean i I, part of me doesn't hate the plan um you know they 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 give after 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 aegon brings it up they give lots of reasons Mm -hmm. um you know while there are no ships for slaver's bay passage west they think is easy to get they they'd be happy if they they left and went west. Um, Tywin's no longer around, uh, with just Cersei in charge. They're maybe fixated on Marine and not they wouldn't you know see them coming. Um, the last person that really tried, other than the Greyjoys, I suppose, but the last person to rise up and try to take the crown succeeded with Robert. So and that he didn't have dragons, you know, like maybe it's doable. Um, there's already rebels and other forces fighting against the crown. Um, they're pretty confident Dorne will join them, and there are a number. If you if you read the Duncan Egg stories, there are a lot of Blackfire sympathizers in the Reach, and um, some of the men think that a lot of the Reach will join them when when they show up. So they have a lot of reasons to to have optimism. Um, yeah, and what they don't know is that Stannis is up in the north. He's not going to be an immediate threat. I don't know whether they know that or not. That's but... what I'm saying is, yeah, well, maybe they do. Um, the Tyrells, you know, they're kind of spread out right now. Um, so it it really actually is not a bad idea. Um, it has its risks. Sure. But it's kind of like, why not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, what else here? Um well, I'll tell you what, I don't know about this Harry Strickland guy. The only Strickland I know is Principal Strickland from Back to the Future. Oh, gosh. You're a slacker, McFly. You're a slacker. <laughs> Your father was a slacker, too. <laughs> Which his personality is like pretty much the exact opposite of Harry Strickland, <laughs> I think. Who I kind of picture as Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i i gave him a little more credit than that it does say he looks you know he looks like a soldier but um the bit with his toes is like a comedy routine oh yeah 
It's hilarious. No, Treat no, the them soft like grapes. The soft towel. I need the soft towel. Pat them dry. Pat. Un- unrolling these soft socks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why do you think George wrote him this way? Like the exact, pretty much antithesis of what you'd imagine a sales a cell sword commander being. Cells word commander. Cells word. Cells words. Uh, reach around. I. Yeah, reach around. I don't know. It's a good question. I never thought of that. Uh, you know, I we've said before he kind of likes to flip tropes on its ears sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, so maybe it's an opportunity to do that. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting question. It really is, and it's it's interesting to see the complete lack of respect that his troops have for him. Yeah. They basically decided they were going to go to the Golden Company whether he was going or not, and he couldn't do a thing about it, and he didn't do a thing about it. Yeah. And, and I guess, well, maybe they made him that way, maybe George made him that way to to show the type of influence that Aegon could have. Um, yeah, maybe. By exerting himself and and putting himself out there. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It certainly is interesting seeing Aegon do this. I, this was a moment uh, for me when when I kind of fell for Aegon, and mm. you know, since in this reread, I've kind of looked closer at him and don't don't feel the the love I had for him before. I still I still like him. I still think his claim is interesting, and I'm interested to see how he grows and where the story goes. But um, I the first time I read this, I was kind of I was kind of rooting for him. You know, right. yeah. I like I liked this scene where he's like, "No, put your faith in me. Let's do this." It's a cool moment. Yeah, but the, uh, go ahead. The question is, can Aegon put his money where his mouth is? Sure. That's that's just he's unblooded. We haven't yep. we haven't been able to see yet. Yep. What he's really capable of. Yep. Uh, I, I, one thing that uh, is interesting here. Uh, they talk. Holmes Harry Strickland talks about how well I had to tell these guys of the plot because we're just sitting here and jobs are coming in and I'm turning them down and mm. they're going to get restless. Mm. But Tristan Rivers says something when they're talking about you know maybe going west. He outlines all of the failed plans from Illyrio. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it implies to me that no, this isn't. They didn't just find out about this in the last you know couple weeks while they've been waiting they found out about this like years you know for years as these plans have been failing because right how else would this guy not how else would this guy know of all the failed plans if he hadn't been filled in when they were happening yeah uh unless uh, maybe he didn't know the specifics about Aegon. Uh, maybe. But yeah, it certainly appears that Strickland and and probably Miles Toyn, I guess, before him, had uh, at Let least kept an, kept an inner circle at least notified and and up yeah. to date on what they were doing. Yeah. What oh, man? I think Illyrio had to. He probably had to pay a pretty hefty retainer fee, right? To yes, keep this golden company. In his back pocket like this. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, they have the whole some contracts are written blood thing on their side, but I'm sure they're still taking full payment. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I didn't realize that Halden, maybe I just missed this in earlier reads, but I didn't realize that Halden was part of this company as well before. Yeah, so that must be where uh, John Conn had met him and found him. Yeah, <clears throat> but it's Please. it's a little weird though. Still, I something doesn't sit right with me for Halden. Still, I I don't know what it is, but I I don't know. You are very fixated on him. You need to figure this out. Yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> but well, so so he he opens this chapter like cursing himself for trusting Halden to do this thing. It's like you've known this guy for twelve years. Right. Like you've trusted him for twelve years. He makes one mistake with Tyrion, and now you're like all pissed off about it. Seems like they th- they should be very close if they've been traveling together for twelve years. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And longer. With Connington yeah. being in the Golden Company with him. Yes, right. Prior yeah. to the twelve years. Right. Yeah. There's a a great piece of advice that Griff gives to Aegon. Hmm. Uh, mistrust can poison you, make you sour and fearful. And my brain immediately left to Danny. Mm-hmm. That you know all the all the prophecy stuff, where she just she doesn't trust anybody or anything, you know, and uh, she's kind of she's kind of afraid to do anything. I think, right? Yeah, she's it's paralyzing. Of, yeah, she needs she needs somebody like John at her side to give her advice like that. Oh yeah. <sighs> okay. Um... I like what they do with the skulls. That's pretty cool. Dip them in gold. Uh-huh. Right? And they post them around their, the commander's tent. Yeah. That's that's fun. That'd be a good way to go. Yeah. I'd be cool with that. Uh, Let's see. <clears throat> do you think it's worth noting the uh, Battle of the Bells here? Yeah, or, sure. I guess you kind of did it in your summary, right? Oh, a little bit. It was just a nod. Mm-hmm. But yes, go ahead. You're sleepy. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long several days. I hear you. Um, well, let's see. So during Robert's rebellion, fill me in on the or fill in the details that I miss. During Robert's rebellion, the Robert team, Robert, the rebels had lost really what turned out to be their only major loss. Uh, which was to Randall Tarley, and they'd kind of retreated to this village of what's called Stony Sept. And the villagers in Stony Sept had kind of hidden Robert away. He was recovering from some wounds, right? And John Connington, who happened to be the Hand of the King at the time, descended upon Stony Sept and started a house-to-house search of the city in an effort to find Robert. And he never did. Never found the guy. And uh, he'd spent so much time there that, excuse me, Eddard Stark and Hoster Tully had time to get down to Stony Sept. They were up at River Run with their forces, and they attacked the city, and there was fighting in the streets and all this cool stuff. Um, I would love, actually, to see this on screen, the Battle of the Bells. Yeah, wouldn't that be I've, awesome to see on the screen? I think I've made that comment before, like seeing them jump from roof to roof and like Robert, like half naked with his war hammer, like running around inflicting Bandaged. damage. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. We find out during the battle that Robert 
um, comes out of hiding yeah. to to join in the fighting, like Scott said, with his war hammer and stuff. Uh, but anyways, they win, and John Connington is forced to retreat from the city, and he's never been able to quite get over that because obviously he he kind of had Robert Baratheon there and uh, missed his opportunity to end the war. So, yeah, we've talked about this before. I think I've listened to it, listened to some some interesting opinions from Radio Westeros on this as well. Um, like if Tywin had been in charge. How mm -hmm. he would have handled that differently, and I think maybe John, John at some point, maybe I don't know, maybe I'm getting into spoilers, but um, well, Miles yeah, Coyne brings it up. He definitely, he definitely regrets how he handled that situation, mm -hmm. John, and yeah, it's it's bringing in his brain all the time. That's that's where he failed, Rhaegar, and I think he says it in this chapter. That's where they lost the war. Yep, it wasn't at the Tridents; it was in that moment. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should we move on? You got anything else for this chapter? Not really. Yeah, we moved kind of quickly through this one. Uh, but it go was Aegon. a goodie. Go Aegon. Yeah, go Aegon. Go John Connington. Uh, it's fun to get a new POV. But let's move on. All right. Uh, we're going to move on now to Davos after the dark. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, if you... Uh, don't want spoilers like you're reeling at our pace just uh stop listening turn it off now and come back in three weeks and catch us for episode 62 where i'm sure we'll dive into some some more fun stuff uh but if you're wanting to get into the spoiler mode here we go it's time for davos after dark davos after dark uh okay uh we talked a lot about well, we talked a lot about Jamie and Bran, but we didn't talk too much about Hyle. Let's talk about sure. Hyle. Yeah. We know that in the end, Hyle proposes to Brienne. Proposes in like his marriage. own unique Hyle way. <laughs> yeah. What is that again? His own unique Hyle hunt way. No, yeah. What is that way? Um. Well, I wrote it down, actually. What I want to win is you, Lord Selwyn's only living child. I've known men to wed lackwits and suckling babes for prizes a tenth the size of Tarth. I'm not Renly Baratheon, I confess it, but I have the virtue of being still amongst the living. Some would say that is my only virtue. Marriage would serve the both of us. Lands for me and a castle full of these, he's referring to children, for you. I'm capable, I assure you. I've sired at least one bastard that I know of. Uh, <laughs> wow! Yeah, he's he's, he's something. A, he's a salesman, this guy. <laughs> so, so I th so I think that passage makes it very clear, right? What his goal is, <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, uh, we referred earlier to the Twitter poll that we sent out, and for those not on the twitters, uh, we just said answer this about Heil Hunt. Uh, and it was Heil Hunt is in love with Brienne. Heil Hunt feels bad for his past japes with Brienne. Or Heil Hunt just wants a shot at Tarth. And the results were close for two of them. 40% um, said that Heil was in it for a shot at Tarth. 39% said... He was feeling bad for his japes. 
And then we got a lot of comments from people who said both. That yeah. he did want a shot of Tarth, but he also did feel a bit of guilt for uh, for Brienne. And I don't think that's out of the question. Yes. Yeah, I uh, like like I said with Jamie and Brienne, it's complicated. It's probably complicated for Hyle, too. I think he gains respect for, for Brienne here. Um, mm-hmm. Likes her. Uh, you know, but he he's very honest in his reasons. I want Tarth. Uh, right. You know, like, I, <laughs> it's pretty clear. Uh, and then... When that doesn't work, though, he goes to uh, he 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 goes into seduction mode. Um, in About the dark, capability. he says, "In the dark, you'd be as beautiful as any other woman. Oh, your lips were made for kissing. Um, leave your chamber door unbarred tonight, and I will steal into your bed and prove the truth of what I say." Goodness gracious. And that's when Brienne says, if you do, you'll be a eunuch when you leave. And she gets <laughs> up and walks away. All right. Well, uh, it was a fun poll. It, it sparked <laughs> a lot of great conversation. I think uh, having hear, heard these things, I think I've changed my mind completely about Hyle Hunt. Uh, he's a scoundrel. Uh, and he he's wants Tarth. Money. He wants Tarth. Yeah. Yeah. I knew there wasn't anything more to you than money. <laughs> false uh well no you're correct um yeah i agree with you so in the future that i can't totally commit to this but i'd like to try to do a poll leading up to the next episode so that we yeah. can always have some fun discussing uh what you guys say but, good call yeah uh. all right so Heil hunt once yeah. tarth Next, let's, let's talk. You you brought this up. This is a note from you, and I was curious about what you were thinking, so I said we should discuss it. Bonifer bringing up northern type things and putting them into contextual conflict with the seven. Um. So you said that he talked. He he's. This is a quote. Whites and revenants cannot harm a pious man. Yeah, he was he like mentions, shielded in his faith or something right. along those lines. And he also mentions demons in the skins of wolves. When he's talking about Nymeria's Nymeria's pack. pack, right? So, uh, what do you what are you getting at there? I I'm not. I threw that out there to see if you had any thoughts. Oh, but I did think it interesting that in the span we just met Bonifer Hasty, and in the span of one chapter, he makes two references to the North and things that he doesn't know about. Yeah, right. This is completely you know, out of his realm of comprehension. He has no idea that that Arya uh, is a warg who sometimes skin changes into Nymeria. I don't think he knows too much about the whites that are up there beyond the wall, yet they both come up in his conversation. And I, I just wonder if this conflict that he hints at will actually be something bigger. The the faith of the seven versus mm-hmm. the old gods. Yeah. So I I can weigh in on that, just my opinion. I I I have respect for I think all of the religions of Westeros except the seven. That seems like a completely invented farcical religion to me. Mm-hmm. The others are steeped in tradition and seem to have some sort of power and magic and history to them. 
the seven just seems like some sort of convenient invention to someone me. to to pray to yeah to give hope somewhere. and a way to easily raise money yeah and uh, yeah so uh i w- i would not stun me if the seven were annihilated by the end of the book right. nor would it nor would it displease me mm-hmm. and for those that are pious and firm believers and stuff like that what will that do to them you know shake uh, them to the core i imagine yeah. right yeah. i don't know i i didn't have any deep thoughts on it i just thought it was interesting that those two things came up it came up like, right away it was like yeah. george was just winking at us yeah a little bit but yeah well it's um we we met the new high septon uh in this episode and there is a theory that's out there that's a uh fun i think it's kind of popular it's i think it's rather prominent yeah that we figured we should at least note (laughs) at least to say that we're aware of it and to tell you guys about it if you're not aware of it uh basically there's a theory out there that the new high septon is howland reed Mm -hmm. and uh, we'll just cover this very briefly if you want you can go google this and find everything you need but as far as i can tell the basic argument is pretty thin it's that the guy is tiny he has mm-hmm. uh, muddy eyes, kind of muddy features, which the reeds are mentioned as having. And he's quick to disparage the beheading of Ned Stark. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I got from it. Was there more to it than that, that you recall? <sighs> There's... I found a... Uh, his, um, what's it called? The the boards. Song of Ice yep. and Fire boards, westeros.org. Mm-hmm. It is an exhaustive post on Howland Reed being the the High Sparrow, and it goes through a whole list of topics, uh, 11 different topics, each with subtopics that that go through and, and provide evidence to Howland Reed being the High Septon. Many of these are rather thin like you're mm-hmm. saying but they bring up you know some interesting points so if you if you look up it guys if you go and just google howland reed high septon you'll probably find that post it's called the high sparrow equals howland reed a complete rundown cool and uh it's it's quite exhaustive but uh some I feel interesting... like I read that at some point but it was a long time ago and now I've forgotten you might have very well could have uh, they talk about how, you know, that Howland, if he's the High Septon, it didn't seem that the forces, he started mobilizing and heading to King's Landing until after the Red Wedding, you know, with the Starks getting trashed and him finally mm. deciding I need to step in and do something about this. Mm. Uh, so just some interesting points that I don't think are is conclusive evidence, but is interesting to think about. Another thing he brings up is how you never hear the High Septon demonstrating his knowledge of doctrine, you know, of the seven-pointed star and, and all of that stuff. He doesn't give these these really deep 
doctrinally based sermons that indicate learning a deep learning and study of the faith. It's just more morality based, morality based, protecting and sticking up for his people, um, stuff like that. Yeah. So, which of course, Howland's a Northman, so he wouldn't have that background in the faith of the seven, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, just for me, it was kind of interesting stuff to think about, but nothing that, nothing that, uh, is conclusive. Here's fun to think about. Here's my problem with it. Okay. And and maybe, maybe this post addresses that. So I apologize if it does. It would, it, it would be a really weird idea for Howland to have. You're right. I, I bet I could pretend to be a Septon and mm-hmm. integrate my way in there and become the high Septon to have influence. It's, it's a weird thing to think you'd be able to do. Yeah, like, like, having like if, the initial like idea in, in the first place. Like living mm-hmm. in Utah, if as a young child I was like, I will become LDS and I will integrate my way into the culture so that I can get up into the uh what's your your group first presidency the first presidency like why would i assume that i would be able to do that right it doesn't it doesn't make any sense like why would they pick me why you know like it's just it's a leap it's a it's a presumptive leap to begin with jesus would have to pick you scott right yes (laughs) uh yeah i mean your point's well taken how would he even come up with this idea in the first place? Yeah. Now, if he did come up with that idea, it's a really good idea precisely because of what happens in this chapter. That being that the crown can't control him. Yeah. So it's a very lofty and seems so far out of reach ideal. But if it can be achieved... It's a huge advantageous position to be in. Hugely advantageous position to be in. So, right. But yeah. Uh, this, is, this is the guy who sent his two kids up to help Bran. So. Yes. Right. <laughs> Which I, I realize there's more of that. Jojen and all his stuff. But uh, Let's see. What else we got here? Uh, we already talked... Kind of, we hinted about our feelings about Circe and the Faith Militant. Yeah. We can skip that one, maybe. Right. Um, our, our point was just that this really, I think, starts the ball, kicks the ball down the hill for Cersei. Yeah. Is this deal right here. Right. I think the ball's already on the way down the hill, but I think this... Uh... Does this accelerate it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really it starts... Uh, yeah. Yeah, picking up speed. It finds a paved road here, the ball does. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right, let's talk about Amon. So, okay. Amon dies, eventually. Next chapter, he's dead. Next, Next Sam chapter, chapter. on the Cinnamon Wind. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it before the Cinnamon Wind? No, it's on the Cinnamon Wind, right? Yeah. Why did the gods make him linger on? Like, what? what is he actually... What 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 purpose has him living on actually served? He's he says this is this is his argument, right? And you know he's mm-hmm. a fallible human too, but he says you know that that the that the cold preserves and that he's been kept at the wall and alive for a reason. But 
I guess I just have to call bullshit because he doesn't accomplish anything, does he? In these last few weeks of his life? Not in those last few weeks. It's like it's too little too late, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I suppose maybe he uh, maybe he inspires this dragon pursuit in Sam. Maybe, right. like, like passes the torch. And, and maybe the dragon that he was supposed to inspire, like you said, is Jon Snow. Perhaps, yes. And he did it well, knowingly. Well, th- this is a, to me, this is a major chink in the Team John armor. Hmm. Un- unless you believe that Amon isn't, isn't part of it. Uh, which, you know, when we talk about that, if we talk about that, um, you know, we'll have to discuss that. But we'll have to work through it. If if Amon really knew that about John, then I don't think he'd be. I don't. I don't think he'd be second guessing those things here. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, "Yeah, they kept me around because I needed to talk to the heir to the throne." Yeah, and maybe he doesn't realize the significance of that. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, he does make that interesting comment that fire consumes, but cold preserves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting, just the whole concept of the North that these, the others have been around for thousands of years and, you know, has the cold preserved them, but does the cold mean something more symbolic than just the temperature outside? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think about uh, Jon Snow recently just dying and... Will the cold somehow preserve him? I don't know. It's just interesting. I, I I just have like these glimpses of thoughts that I'm trying to like connect together, but I'm having a difficult time connecting. And how yeah. like Melisandre walks around at the wall and the ice melts in her presence and stuff. You know what I mean? Right. It's really interesting, this dynamic between fire and ice. It's almost like it's an important part of A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, I see. Oh, oh. My goodness, look at us. <laughs> hmm. Fire yeah, consumes. Disconnected it, part. It, it's interesting, too, the, the fire consumes part of that, because we know about Summer Hall. We know that basically since, you know, with some ups and downs, but the Targaryen line has been kind of... <laughs> It has tended to consume itself in fire it in some does. ways, mm-hmm. right? And and they're kind of, you know, they're they're known as sometimes they're like some they're sometimes they're just crazy, right? They tend yep. to be crazy, and mm-hmm. they're they're just fiery and wild. It's a, and... Is it flip of a coin? Is is what oh, yes. Barrison says or something? Yeah, Barrison, yeah. I think. Yeah, and 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 so these, you know, this fiery component of the Targaryens versus you know, the cold where Amon has been sent and John too, um, you know, does it counteract some of their, some of their dragon tendencies? Mm-hmm. I don't know. When you think of maybe the cold preserving a Targaryen heir in Jon Snow. Yeah. Mm, the North. Well, I also thought about the phrase Valar Mugulis, which is High Valyrian for all men must die. And that's interesting how that comes into conflict with Aemon being preserved and being afraid of death. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he understands what that means that all men must die, yet he doesn't want to. And he's lived for a long time. And I just, you think he would have stayed alive if he would have stayed at the wall? Or was his time out? Was the wall preserving him and would it have continued to preserve him? We don't know the answer, but... Well, he has a rough trip on the boat, like you said. Uh, it might have expedited things a little bit. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't think that it would preserve him forever. Certainly people die of old age at the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he might still be alive if he'd have stayed. Interesting. In the end, yeah. we don't know. We, <laughs> we don't, don't know. know about any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just I, I when when he says that you know they've left me here for a reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I tend to you know the way George writes. Like I tend to, when when characters say things like this, I tend to believe them. Like prophecy and you know all these weighty religions and histories and all this stuff. Like oh yeah, right. There must always be a Stark in Winterfell. Oh right. I've been I, the gods are letting me linger on. Like there's something behind it and, and meaningful. Maybe not. Maybe maybe that's just Amon's wishful thinking. Yeah, and he says that too, or maybe not. Maybe I'm just an old guy. Yeah. Uh, did you want to talk Tyrek at all? Sure, we can talk Tyrek. I just know that uh, so, you had him marked here. I did. So uh, it's a mystery we've talked a little bit about before. Mm-hmm. Tyrek Lannister disappears. Um, no body. Uh, there is um, no sign of him. Um, you know, Jamie comments that he's dead. If 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 they would have killed him and then realized who they had, they would have certainly buried him in a way that he would not have been found. So I'm not surprised we haven't found a body, uh, which makes some sense. But then, in further reflecting later in the chapter, he's like, "Varys totally did this, <laughs> right?" And yeah, and that's the conclusion that uh, what's the name Jamie arrives at as well, right? That's what I mean, that the yeah. Jamie comes to that conclusion at the end of the chapter, mm-hmm. that Varys totally did this. But I, I don't know, I, what, if you're, has your tune changed on Tyrek? No, uh, in fact, maybe it's expanded a little bit, and I did some searching, and I found that this is, this is a theory that exists in the fandom, that being that Varys is attempting to hide potential heirs, who yeah. that he, of of major houses that he can eventually use when Aegon comes back to uh, kind of place in those houses that can kind of be almost puppets or that would be, you know, that he can trust to not turn against Aegon and stuff like that. Um, and that Tyrek Lannister is Varys's choice for House Lannister in that regard. Why? What does this does this theory address? Why he thinks he'd be able to trust Tyrek? I don't know. I mean, other, th- other than Stockholm Syndrome occurring, which Stockholm does happen. Stockholm and that maybe Tyrek is malleable um, and someone who he feels he can control better than others. I don't know. I mean, but... we thought that about, about Gendry, right? That, that Varys was secreting him out. But he's not really keeping tabs on him, or at least that we know that of. That we know of, yeah. But I, I think he would, I, in this theory, I think Gendry would be the candidate for House Baratheon. Yeah. So Gendry, Tyrek, does it, do they talk about others? I was trying to think of others, actually, just before we started. And I was interrupted, and I didn't get to finish my ponderings. But no, I didn't think of really anyone else. Um, 
just trying to go through like House Aaron, House Dorn, or not House Dorn, House Martell, uh, House Tyrell, and I couldn't really, you know, House Tully, trying to go through those major houses, and I really couldn't think of anyone else. Yeah. House Stark, for that matter. Well, some of the, yeah, I mean, some of them don't have heirs. Like, there is no heir for Tully, right? Other yeah. than Ed, uh, Ed, Edmure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, yeah, that Tully line is uh, way far thin. It is getting very thin. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an interesting theory, and it might explain why Tyrek is disappeared and why he keeps yeah. coming up in the text. But, yeah. uh, it definitely doesn't hold a ton of water. Yeah. Tyrek, I did just some quick looking, and he is about sixth or seventh in line for the Lannister secession, depending on whether you count someone like Lancel, who is, you know, currently sworn to the faith. But I mean, are you counting Jamie and Tyrion? No, that would Cersei? be not counting Jamie Tyrion. That is counting Cersei. Yeah. Sixth, if you don't count Lancel. Seventh, if you do. You got Tommen, you got Marcella, stuff like that. You shouldn't count Lancel because he's about to, uh, well, not that Varys would have known this when he abducted him, but Lancel's about to give everything up to be a a warrior, right? Right, he's going to join the faith militant. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I'm saying. He kind of doesn't count. Yeah. But the Andal lines of secession, I reminded myself of today, uh, that that the Targaryen, not Targaryens, Lannisters follow. The Targaryens follow their own lines of secession. Is um, all the sons inherit first? Yeah, and then their sons, if they have any. But if there are none, then sisters can inherit. Hmm. Daughters. Daughters, yeah. So in this case, Marcella is in the line of secession um, simply because Joffrey and Tommen have no boys. Right. Right. The same with Cersei. She was up higher because Tyrion and Jaime had no, well, quote unquote kids, (laughs) official Lannister kids. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, I'm... Let's 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 take a bet right now. Will we see Tyrek Lannister again? Yes or no, Matt? I will say yes. He's brought up enough times that he will make some sort of return. I'm going to go totally cynical. I'm going to say no. He's just dead. The George, the George originally intended to bring him back at some point, but there's so many threads, he's just going to leave it dangling. <laughs> he's just going to let that one lie. <laughs> just going to let it go. Matt, I mean, we've talked about this before, I think, offline. I, so like there are so many threads to friggin tie up and two books man i don't know no wonder he's taken eight years yeah yep godspeed george you can do it buddy yes we believe in you yeah all right uh are we uh we ready to call it i believe we are ready to call it okay let's uh let's move to our sign off Okay, um, I don't have a heavy sign-off this week. Yay! (laughs) We're going to end on a happy note unless you have something heavy. (laughs) No, I don't think I do. This is Matt signing off in the hopes that you will find 
that perfect combination of the Lifehouse song and the Alicia Keys song. All of you. Every last one of you. Nice. Yeah, and and I was just going to sign off. I don't think it's heavy, uh, but, uh, you know, in, in the vein of the Jamie and, and Brienne conversation, find find whatever connections you can find. If it's love, it's love. If it isn't, it isn't. Just relish in the connection with other humans. That's all. Good night, my friends. Good night, everybody. So can I just tell you something real quick? Yeah. <laughs> Someone just posted on our Facebook page that uh, they're, they're listening through for the first time, Karen Rivera. And she says, episode 27, which is entitled Spoils of War. I don't remember it. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. But that is the name of the most recent Game of Thrones episode. So, Oh, is it really? Does HBO owe you royalties now? <laughs> I, I think they do I'll take it I think I'll, they I'll, do I'll take it anyways yeah. that just barely came across and I had and, to get it but. and I think we owe we owe royalties to wherever that was used a million times before us spoils of war sure <laughs> are you saying that's a common phrase it's <laughs> maybe extremely common <laughs> but we'd take any royalties so. yeah yeah send them our way Thanks, HBO. <laughs> Blood Riders, we hope you enjoyed episode 62. We had some uh, music going on, of course. First of all, by Lifehouse, we had the song Everything. That's from their album, No Name Face. It's their debut album and definitely their best. Uh, the next one was Reckless Love, Scad's favorite Alicia Keys song from her album, As I Am. Gosh, I love Alicia. And then finally, I had... I threw in the song Let Me Go by the Social Animals. We didn't really have any other songs we referred to, and I wanted to have some closeout music. They're a new band that I just heard at a, a concert recently. They were opening up for the main act and uh, fell in love with them there. Got their album. It's called The Formative Years. It's just an EP, six songs, but they're excellent, and I highly recommend checking out The Social Animals. Take care, guys, and uh, can't wait to talk to you again in a few weeks. Good night. Mm-hmm.